I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I think you're so right about this being the time of year, the summertime, where you can just sink yourself into a book and, you know, you have that stack that you just want to get into. Hello and welcome to The New Writer's Room, a podcast for emerging writers. My name is Caitlin Chang and I am editor at SBS Voices. Today I'm joined by writer, editor and New Writer's Room co-host, Candice Chung. Hi, Caitlin. It's been a while. Hello. <laughs> it has been a while. I'm excited to be back. I'm very excited to have you here. And also we're joined by SBS Voices senior writer, presenter and journalist, Sarah Malik. Welcome back, Sarah. Hey, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. It's yeah. <laughs> just add that song at the end. <laughs> I like the song. You can just sing throughout. That's fine. We'll have musical interludes. <laughs> well, you know, the producer said I was too quiet, which no one's ever said to me ever in my life. So I'm just adding that emphasis. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to sing my way through it today. Sarah's adding some sonic depth to. Yeah. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, you guys, for um, joining me in our virtual studio. So usually in this podcast, we talk all about memoir writing, but you know, it's the end of the year and we thought for something a bit different, we would discuss some of our favorite reads of 2021, because you know, how can you get inspired to write without first doing a bit of reading, right? So think of this as our summer book club episode, even though the weather in Sydney is not summery at all. And Candice, you're in Glasgow and yeah. you're not really in a summery vibe. <laughs> I have one hour of sunlight every day. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Well, I mean, you no. can pretend you're reading these books over summer. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're going to give you some recommendations for books to read over the summer break, things that you can read on the beach or while lazing on the couch at your parents' house on Boxing Day or perhaps some Christmas gift ideas. So, Sarah, let's... Let's start with you. What have been some of your favourite reads this year? I think you're so right about this being the time of year, the summertime, where you can just sink yourself into a book and, you know, you have that stack that you just want to get into. And for me, um, a book that's given me that really sinking into mm. feeling where you just you just disappear and time stops has been Christos Shulkas's latest, which is Seven and a Half, and it's an unconventional book in the way that it's written. So mm. it's a book about a writer writing a book, <laughs> you know. And um, the protagonist is someone who, you know, he's a, um, a writer from a Greek working class background and he's a gay writer and he's a writer who is, it kind of goes through the excavation process of how work is made. So he's diving through his own memories and it's kind of a memoir of this writer excavating his memories of um, his life growing up in Australia and the people who populated his world and a lot of those characters of his upbringing, their energy and their personalities are infused in this world that he gives birth to in the book that he's trying to write. So 
it's just fascinating the way that it's set up and the access point the reader gets into the book. And the actual book that the protagonist is writing is about a former porn star who is married to a woman he met in the porn world. And they both shed their past. They have a teen son. They live mm. um, kind of an idyllic life on the New South Wales coast. And then he and his partner are given this kind of, you know, indecent proposal uh, style kind of offer of would he um, sleep with this man for $180,000, this wealthy fan of his in the US. And and kind of through that process, he confronts <laughs> demons of his past. He confronts addiction and family issues. And I mean, it's such a powerful book because I think there are some writers who you feel like there's certain topics they come to again and again. And I think like with Min Jin Lee, that's class. With Alice Pong, it's like family and family relationships. Mm. And I think with Christoph Schulkers, it's really sex and taboo. And it really reminds me of Thomas Mann and Nabokov and even Oscar Wilde, maybe like a very Australian muscular mm. <laughs> Oscar, Oscar Wilde. <laughs> and that he kind of talks a lot about sex and taboo and and, you know, these kinds of themes which, um, yeah, they're not really easy to write about, but he does it so well. Mm. That sounds really juicy and engaging <laughs> in true kind of Christos Cholka style. <laughs> um, I thought it was quite interesting that it's a work of autofiction mm. and so readers are kind of getting a glimpse into the writing process and what it's actually like to write a book. So it must be quite fascinating to look at the, I guess, inner workings of you know, one of the country's most famous writers at the moment. So tell me, Sarah, what did you enjoy most about Seven and a Half? I think, yeah, it is interesting in that it's not presenting to you the novel in the traditional format. <laughs> but I think as a, someone who is interested in writing and as a writer, I think even as a reader, I think it, it is really fascinating to get that entry point of how this writer constructs the book it's not necessarily that the characters in someone's life are replicated in a novel. It's the essence of them, you know, and, and different mm. experiences and how that formulates the themes that authors kind of come back to again and again. But I think that that's something which, yeah, is really fascinating, just that process and how that informs this kind of somewhat spooky and mysterious process of, yeah, how do you write something like that? How do you create a world in this way? And I think, yeah, through this book, he gives you a sneak peek into that. So, Sarah, I was reading that it kind of offers a bit of a a commentary on, I guess, online outrage and, for lack of a better term, cancel culture. Mm -hmm. What exactly mm -hmm. does the book explore in terms of that stuff? Yeah, look, it's, it's really interesting because the protagonist who, you know, is this uh, writer of Greek working class background and he's a leftist, but he's just exhausted by politics, you know, like... He explains to a friend that, hey, look, I want to write a book. I mm. want to write a book about beauty. You know, like I am just not interested in COVID mm. and the bushfires and, you know, all of this stuff going on. Like I want to step away from it and I'm exhausted by it and I'm exhausted by the perfectionism and evangelism of it and the kind of everyone needing to be right and talking over each other and all of that. And and so it's this, it's this man who's just kind of exhausted by this world and wants to escape into writing a book that doesn't have to be, it's not earnest, you know? And I think it is really interesting because yeah. I am exhausted by white people kind of critiquing cancel culture because I think there's a lot of defensiveness to it that really erases a lot of important things that need to be said and need to be heard. But I think when it comes from like a writer of color, there is a genuine conversation there about 
look, do you always want to be kind of subsumed by politics? And why can't you have the luxury of existing outside of it, you know, and not being tamped mm. inside of it? And I think even if mm. Christos Jokas wanted to escape all of that, he never can because just because of who he is, his books are always going to be political because it's such an insight into a world that you just don't get from a mainstream writer. I guess that's also what makes Christos's work so provocative, right? That's how mm. ex- it's exactly how he began the novel. Um, you know, starting by saying he doesn't want it to be about politics um, and he doesn't want it to be about sexuality. But, um, you know, of course, you know that it's going to be all all of those things just by virtue of, um, you know, who's writing it or what the story is going to be about. Mm, Totally. And so, Candice, what about you? What are some of your favourite reads from this year? Yeah, I, um, I always find it interesting to think about favorite reads at the end of the year because it's that time of year where you usually find it hard to remember what you've read oh Um, yeah I forget (laughs) so then the ones that I can actually remember are um by default my favorites I think um (laughs) it kind of sounds like an easy way out but it also makes a kind of sense to me because these are the books that have cut through and made an impact in a year like this and you know that's a pretty big achievement so Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so this year for me the book that did that was Michelle Zorner's Crying in H Mart I think a lot of people have fallen in love with this book so I'm probably not alone in thinking this yeah and and it's Crying in H Mart it's based on the New Yorker essay Mm -hmm. um of the same name which was it really, really moving piece of memoir? Um, mm. So, Candice, what did you love about the book version? I loved it for so many reasons. One thing, if we were to go back to the writer and the story, the author is the front woman of a band that I really like called Japanese Breakfast. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, they're great. And um, she, the other interesting thing about the memoir is she comes from mixed American and Korean heritage and the tension kind of you know shows itself in the book in all kinds of different ways so um, you know in her relationship with her father who was um, white American and her relationship with her mother who's from Korea and the main you know line or narrative in the book is how she kind of you know relates to her mom via her mom's Korean cooking Mm. and later on how she deals with the grief of losing her mother through cooking some of that food that she is so familiar with. Mm. And so I feel like writing about food and kind of using that to, I guess, talk about love is quite a useful and universal device, don't you think? Because it's a love language. Yeah, and, you know, it's so sensorial as well. Immediately it pulls you into the story. Like Sarah was saying earlier, that that lovely feeling of sinking into, I think food is an immediate portal into that feeling. Mm. So I really want to share a bit from the book that really touched me. And this is Mm -hmm. a part that's at the start of the book. And it's the narrator speaking, or rather the author talking about her mother. This was how my mother loves you, not through white lies and constant verbal affirmation, but in subtle observations of what brought you joy, 
pocketed away to make you feel comforted and cared for without even realizing it. She remembered if you liked stews with extra broth, if you were sensitive to spice, if you hated tomatoes, if you didn't eat seafood, if you had a large appetite. She remembered which banchan side dish you emptied first so that the next time you were over, it'd be set with a heaping double portion, served alongside the various other preferences that made you, you. I really love that. You know what I love about that and those kinds of books? They're a full body experience. They're not just this intellectual Mm. exist in the mind. I think that's what I loved about Christos's book too, that there was like the smell... It was a full body experience. You could smell the sweat and hear the farts and, you know, (laughs) taste the food. And it's almost as if the the writer wants you to have this 3D world and it's like a somatic book. It feels like an immersion. And I don't know how they do that, but there's something very, very, um, uh, it's like just jumping into a pool, you know, it's, it's, Mm. it, it makes you feel so so much more deeply than those books which are just so they're, they're, they're beautiful but they just uh, they're so intellectual and that you feel mm. like they're, they're in the mind somewhere but they haven't really impacted your body and that that's something that I loved about that passage it felt so full body um yeah it's beautiful mm. yeah and Candace who would you recommend crying in H Mart for um I would recommend it to anyone who has a mother um <laughs> or or two mothers <laughs> Uh, a loved one in their life who, you know, speaks through food and also, you know, anyone who is having a hard time dealing with grief. It's a really lovely book about that. Mm. Okay. And are there any other books you want to tell us about that you've loved this year? To flag. Which other um, ones can you remember? <laughs> yeah. Um, another book that I really enjoyed was No One's Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood which is a very clever and very online book, um, which was shortlisted for this year's Booker Prize, I think. Yeah, I um, just started reading this and I'm about a quarter mm. of the way through and I find it so relatable and yeah. also like I feel very seen because the protagonist <laughs> yeah. is so online and mm. she's just so like caught up with scrolling through the portal the the portal which is like twitter and instagram and her Mm -hmm. husband comes up and it's like what are you why what are you (laughs) laughing about and she's like i can't like she can't talk about it because she's moved on like she's on to like the fifth thing now so yeah i found that quite um confronting (laughs) a spike a small spike of shame as well i know i was like i need a digital detox yeah yeah (laughs) it's my crutch For that, you know, for those reasons, it's an amazing book to read. Also, it's a very thin volume, so Mm. it's a really, it's a nice summer read, I think. Yeah, Mm. awesome. Um, I do want to give another shout out to a story collection that I really loved. So it's by debut author Paige Clark, um, who is Chinese-American-Australian. Most of her stories are centred around young female narrators and a Again, like similar to Michelle Zorner's memoir, it shares this theme of grief or how to dance around it, how to live through it. Mm. Really interesting stuff. Mm. Yeah. Well, I wanted to share one of my favourite books of the year, which was mm. 100 Days by uh, Melbourne writer Alice Pung. So this was a fictional work from her, but she's also, I guess, very deft at memoir. Mm. 
It's definitely a book about mothers and daughters and it was really quite heartbreaking. Um, At times it was funny too, but it also was really claustrophobic to read Mm. because the whole, most of the book takes place in this tiny apartment where the protagonist, Karuna, who is a 16 year old who falls pregnant, where she lives with her mother, who's quite intense. And it's just a very intense relationship. Sarah, you actually got to interview Alice Pung earlier in the year for SBS Voices. What did you think of this book? Oh, you know, I am also such a big Alice fan. I just think she is an incredible writer, like one of one of the best in the country. And reading her work is like this book was just astonishing. Like it was so beautifully created and the writing and the world and not just the themes which mm-hmm. resonated really strongly with me personally as someone who's a child of migrants and, you know, a lot of the themes around, you know, what is it like mm. to, to love someone across a gulf? Um, and what is it like to love someone who the mother has gone through so much trauma in her own life, you know, as, as a migrant woman, as someone who experiences racism in Australian society, you know, as um, a working class family. And so there are so many tensions that exist societally and how that intersects in their relationship. I think kind of weaving that, the way she weaves that is just so well done and so beautifully crafted. Um, and, and the gaze of the mm. book is also something that needs to be pointed out. It's it's almost like the, the protagonist is speaking to her, her, her daughter. So it feels like you are getting this uninterrupted insight mm. into this world that just exists outside of the white gaze. And I think that's something when a writer can do that, it's just so powerful. And yeah, so I, I spoke to Alice about the way the novel is constructed in terms of the gaze and the way the protagonist tells the story, which is a story told to her daughter. And she said that she deliberately did that. It's not explaining anything. It's not introducing the reader in any way. It's not existing in any way for an outside audience. It just exists on its own. And you can kind of watch that and be privileged enough to to be inserted into that or you can kind of step away but it just exists on its own and I think that's something that makes that book so powerful to read and I think just as someone who also comes from a migrant background and kind of grew up in the pre-internet era there's something so nostalgic about reading about what that was like like it was an isolating experience growing up in Australia before you had Instagram and Facebook and, and the whole world at your fingertips and a world which showed you, oh, look, there's other people like me that exists, or there's, you know, TikToks about, you know, diaspora kids. And it was, it was a very small world, you know, before the internet. And, you know, you did feel quite isolated and alone in your experiences. And I think that that, it brought back a lot of that. And there was so much about this book that was so Australian. And that's why I kind of love reading Australian books, because, yeah, it really brings back so many memories of, your own childhood and, you know, the Hills Hoist and Dolly Magazine and (laughs) watching Rage and reading the Reader's Digest and all of those kinds of small things that when they come alive for you when they're reflected back at you in the book. So, yeah, that was really, really powerful for me. So on so many levels, just craft, story, themes, everything, this book just hit hard for me. Mm, Yeah. And I feel like the actual kind of relationship between the mother and daughter, it was at times like quite suffocating, but 
it's also about love in all of its ugly forms. So mm. there was like one quote in the book, which really like absolutely destroyed me when I read it. So I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Mm. It says, as if she could read my terrible thoughts, Mrs. Osmond said, you know, Karuna, your mother may not know how to love you the best, but she loves you the most. And I was just like in a puddle when mm. I read that. I don't know if that's just because I'm like a kind of hormonal person, you know, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was just really beautiful. And mm. yeah, I think she just kind of captured like the, there were times where I found Karuna's mum really frustrating and, I just kind of was like, oh, Corinne's just got to get out of there. But then, yeah, it just kind of captured this other form of love, which was intense and often flawed and kind of not, I guess, like you said, Sarah, it was a completely different gaze and it wasn't the kind of relationship that we're used to, I guess, yes. seeing. Yeah. Yes, and it's particular in that it's this particular family, but it could relate to anybody who has a complicated family. And that's the beauty of the book. Like it's, mm. it's a particular family and so it resonates with children of migrants. But anyone who has a complicated family or a complicated relationship with their parents could step into that and feel that. And, and the genius of Alice is that, you know, there are no heroes and villains in this book. Everyone is complicated mm. and grey and gets compassion and, to do that is just really tricky. It reminds mm. me of Brick Lane by Monica Ali where, where you know, she resists the urge to make the husband this really domineering evil patriarch like he's not, you know, even though he does things that border on cruelty. And in this book, you know, there is a lot of stuff that happens that borders on cruelty, but then there's the love and then the, the love exists with pain and with cruelty. And and I think that, yeah, just, just to be able to weave that that complication and do it mm. in a way where you feel for everybody is, yeah, just, just amazing. And, and I think the fact that she writes through this teen's eyes, because when you're a teenager, and I think this is what Alice said in the interview, you know, you're not thinking about, oh, you know, generational trauma and the migrant experience and racism. Like you're just thinking, what the hell? Like why can't I just do mm. things that normal people do? Like what is this? And you just have this rage and it's incoherent rage sometimes. And so the fact that she steps into Karuna and her perspective, but without demonizing the mother, mm. that's, that's an a, amazing skill yeah. to be able to do that. Um, and another book which has really um, caught the attention of a lot of people this year is The Mother Wound, which is a memoir by Sydney-based writer Amani Haider, which was just recently long-listed for a Walkley for the book mm. awards. So, look, a quick kind of caveat, it's not a light summer read. Like it's, it's extremely powerful but it is quite intense and mm. there were – you know, points where I was reading it and I was just like <laughs> really enraged. But it's a kind of heartbreaking and very real account of Haydar's mother's brutal murder at the hands of her husband, um, Amani's father. Um, Sarah, why do you think this book has captured people's attention? It's such a powerful book. Amani does, does such an amazing job in telling the truth of her experience and it's such a difficult thing when you're a minority memoirist. And I think that this is something that a lot of minority memoirists grapple with. And I've spoken to many, I've interviewed many, and there's always this tension. 
and fear that, oh, you know, if I say my truth and speak about, you know, the good and the bad and all that comes with my experience, is that going to, you know, make my community look bad or is that going to, you know, further stereotypes? Mm-hmm. And that's something mm-hmm. that, you know, white memoirists don't have to worry about. You know, they can tell their stories in this really unfettered way and, and, and the right to do that and to be part of that conversation and to express yourself that way in all your complication and particularity is such a privilege. Mm. And the fact that Amani just does that so fearlessly and she tackles some of those fears that yeah. and kind of smashes them head on, you know, like the, the kind of Islamopho- Islamophobia that she experiences through the trial and, you know, the way in which, you know, her family story is framed in a particular way that, oh, you know, a Muslim family or a Muslim man, when, you know, violence against women is a national issue, it's a global issue, it transcends culture. And so, you know, how that affected her personally and kind of dehumanised her family and her own suffering I think was very powerful. But then also saying, look, patriarchy is an issue, you know, in my community and in so many communities and, and how to handle that fear of not being able to speak up about how patriarchy manifests itself in the world that you grew up in is something that she also does so well and those dual tensions mm. and how she kind of navigates that while also coping with this unbearable grief mm. um, and at the same time kind of paying tribute to and honouring her mother in such a beautiful, beautiful and powerful way where you really kind of see her resilience and her survival and just this incredible person that her mother was to be able to do all of those things simultaneously is just such an art and um, I think that's why the book has resonated Mm, so much with so many people. Candice so you are often sharing with me some really good reading recommendations but they're not necessarily novels but you know they're often sometimes essays or short fiction and I think there can be this um I guess pressure to consume like big works and big Mm. books, which I don't know, it can be hard at the moment. It's the end of the year and our brains feel a bit fried. You know, we've spent a good part of 2021 in lockdown and we might not have the headspace to like, Mm. you know, read an epic novel. So what are, I guess, some, you know, alternative works that you've enjoyed yeah, um, my brain always feels fried, so um, <laughs> I, like, I like to have um, alternatives. Um, but in all seriousness, though, like I think that there is a temptation to equate like good work or meaningful work with large work. Yeah. And, you know, like to me that's a little bit strange because it's it's like saying only long relationships can leave a mark on you, right, which is mm. something that, you know, if you've ever had a crush on someone, you know it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for better or worse, um, these smaller um, pieces of literature, sometimes I find that actually like has a more powerful impact because of the form itself, like say, you know, a short story, flash fiction, um, etc. It has such a small window to make an impression mm. which means that it has to be something that gets you at a gut level. So, you know, like a good date. So (laughs) um, (laughs) I love this one quote by um, the poet David White who said that 
poetry is language against which you have no defenses. Mm. And to me, that really encapsulates what good, powerful, short writing is and what it does for you, the appeal of Mm. smaller works, which Mm. I sometimes think of as, you know, tiny literature. (laughs) I like that. And I like the analogy of a date. And if it's not working, you just leave. And, you know, reading a book, reading reading kind of literature shouldn't be hard work. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like, I think sometimes we feel like we need to persevere with something, but I feel like there's a liberation in just going, oh, you know what? This isn't for me. I'm moving on. I'm not going to finish this. (laughs) Yeah, totally, man. Be good to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess that's where Tiny Lit comes in because they're short bursts. So it's not hard work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, this year I have um, started reading um, chat books And they are these short books of poetry that are 20 to 40 pages long. Mm. I bought this one from a book fair earlier in the year. Um, uh, The collection is called The Republic of Motherhood by Liz Berry, Mm. which is Mm -hmm. beautiful and has a really lovely cover. And that's a possibility uh, with poetry. Or um, Faber Story also does these really lovely single-serve short stories that are great as well. And it was how I came across Sally Rooney's Mr. Salary, Mm. which, yeah, which was a bit of a precursor to um, conversations with friends, I think. Now, Sarah and Candice, you're both writers as well as editors and readers. What are some books you've read this year that have helped inspire your craft? Um, I'd have to say, you know, I've, I've read a, some really good memoirs, like a lot of stuff coming out of the UK. Um, so Nikesh Shuklet's Brown Baby was definitely one of the highlights for me. Um, reading, you know, growing up as a young South Asian man in, in Britain, but also being a father. And I think that was a really interesting entry point because you don't often see these very vulnerable portraits of fathers and what it's like to be a father of a daughter and the emotions around that. And I just really liked, um, you know, men entering into that sphere about writing, about being a parent, because often that domain is, you know, exclusively Mm. uh, dedicated to women. So I really liked seeing the portrait of um, a South Asian man and a writer talking about being a father and the vulnerability of that and the tensions of that and raising a mixed race daughter in Britain and coming to terms with his own experiences of race and migration and what he wants to pass mm. on and what he wants to protect her from. So that was a really, really beautiful book that I would definitely recommend. And I guess Charlotte Wood, The Luminous Solution was also just one of those beautiful books where, you know, you're not feeling like a memoir, you're not feeling like a fiction, you want to read something in between. Mm. And it's just a beautiful book about writing and art and, and the process of, of writing. And I think it's something that writers often go to just to, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, well, how does someone else do it? And, there's this particular, like, just I love it so much. And it talks about, you know, to be an artist, you have to be a bit feral. <laughs> and I, I love that word because growing up in Western Sydney, it just had a whole different meaning, you know, like, oh, that she's feral as, <laughs> you know. Um, so feral, um, the feral artist. Um, the feral artist doesn't merely tolerate but celebrates the primal creaturely instinct in us too, the rude Excessive, illogical, and disorderly, primitive, urgent life force. It means a truly independent mind. 
It might mean ignoring your gender. It definitely means being open to surprise, being honest. It means embracing our own ugliness, our grubbiness and animality without shame. It means releasing yourself from the desire to make people like you. It means having the guts to show yourself, discovering who and what you are and expressing that self in whatever way you choose. So yeah, Mm. love that. (laughs) Mm, Beautiful. For me, this year I bought George Saunders a swim in the pond in the rain, which I'm really enjoying. It's kind of like having a chance to go to class with George Saunders. So, which, (laughs) you know, in my mind is the best thing you could hope for for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Before we finish, I just wanted to do a quick quiz of your book recommendations for different moods. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw in some suggestions too. First of all, the first thing is when you just want a really good page turner. And I am going to jump in and suggest Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. I'm not sure if you guys have read this, but it reminded me a lot of the TV series Fleabag. It's dark. It's also extremely witty. It's set in um, Oxford in the UK and also Mm. in London. It's about mental illness. So it's, you know, Mm. a heavy topic, but it's just full of lots of um, humor and levity. And it also kind of depicts one of my favorite sister relationships that I've kind of ever encountered in popular culture. So that's my first recommendation. (laughs) Oh, that sounds great. You know, I'm being really unashamed and I'm it's not just high literature. I read everything. I have so much, so many guilty pleasures. So for me, it would be Ken Follett. You know, he just does these rip-roaring historical thrillers and they've got palaces and mysteries and murders. And it's, I used to just read it in university when I was just worried about exams and I would just fall into those worlds and I could read. They're like, they're massive. They're like a, like printer size books. And you could just read them in one sitting because they were so engrossing so yeah that that was my guilty pleasure I would have to say Ken Follett's Mm. the best page turner I've ever read his books are that sounds great addictive Mm. I read this year The Pisces by Melissa Broder so Mm -hmm. that sounds great yeah look this was released like a couple Mm. of years ago now but I recently joined a book club and someone mentioned it in the whatsapp chat and Basically, the WhatsApp thread blew up about the Pisces, which is this kind of hilarious, raunchy summer read where the protagonist has a love affair with a merman she meets at Venice Beach in LA. It's like really funny. It's got it's got sex with a merman in it, and it's just like it blew my mind, it. and I couldn't stop thinking about it afterwards. Um, but yeah, anyway, that was my other little guilty pleasure. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so so highly recommend. <laughs> let's just stop the podcast. Let's just stop the podcast here because I think we have <laughs> the winner, you know, like affair with a merman. You can't really beat that. I'm sorry. So I know. <laughs> okay, and just finally, what are the books that you're looking forward to being released next year? The one that is on my mind is Jessica Owl's Cold Enough for Snow. I've been excited about this one for a little while because um, Jessica Au had won the inaugural Fitzcarraldo novel competition last year. It's a London-based competition, I think, and um, 
Jessica is from Melbourne and she is a former deputy literary editor for、uh, Mianjin as well.、Mm. And I'm just, yeah, excited to, to see what, that, what that's like.、Mm. And what about you, Sarah? Um, I think for me, it would be Australiana by Yumna Kassab. That's a book that I've seen some preview kind of synopsis of it. And it just looks like, yeah, I, I'm just excited about, you know, this writer and her perspective and a writer from Western Sydney and reading、mm. a fiction from her. So, yeah, that's a book that I'm really looking forward to that's coming out next year. And I am looking forward to reading Son of Sin by Omar Saka. So,、mm. Omar is a poet who last year won the Prime Minister's Literary Award for Poetry, and this is his debut novel. It's set in Western Sydney, and it just looks like it's going to be a really great read. So I'm looking forward to that one.、Mm. Gosh, there have been so many books to add to my overflowing bedside reading pile. My to read pile is going to be overflowing, and it's going to look like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. So thank you for your recommendations. And Sarah and Candace, thank you so much for joining me on the new writer's room. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's been fun. It has been fun. Thank you so much. And we will add a full list of our book recommendations to the show notes so you can also get reading. And thanks for listening to this season of the new writer's room. It's actually been so nice to be able to share this podcast with you all. It's been a pleasure to have these conversations with both of you, Candace and Sarah, and also speak to some amazing writers this year. So, whether you simply love reading or you love to write, I really hope that you got something out of it. This is our last episode for 2021, but please keep an eye on your feeds next year because we'll be back with new episodes. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks, Candace and Sarah. Bye. Thanks. Bye. See you guys. The New Writers' Room is produced by Caitlin Chang and audio produced by Jeremy Wilmot. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambly and Danielle Toich. You can find SBS Voices on Facebook or on Twitter. And if you'd like to pitch a story to us, you can email voices at sbs.com.au. The official anthology of the 2020 SBS Emerging Writers Competition is out now at all good bookshops. Roots Home is Who We Are, published by Hardy Grant Books in partnership with SBS, features 30 of the best entries to inspire you to get writing.